And personality-wise, how would you describe yourself? Like, are you very reflective? Are you more of a lighthearted kind of guy? Yeah, I, I would say intense in the sense that like anything I do, whether that's hobbies, whether that's career-oriented, you know, like everything has to be all in. This is Matt. He's in his mid-20s and he lives on the East Coast. To protect his identity, he just wants to go by his first name. Like, I can't eat one donut. Like, if there's a box, I have to eat 15. And it's not just a willpower thing. I've come to find that it's highly tied to a lot of the compulsive wiring that I have. I have to be all in on it because I go to extremes with everything. I got on the phone with Matt because he wants to talk about something that he recently went to extremes with. It's something very private, something he hasn't talked about with anyone in his life. Like, what what am I going to tell my parents that I'm addicted to sending thousands of dollars to strangers online to random women? Like, it's just this taboo thing. And, you know, like, we're... As a society, we haven't even accepted what I feel are, like, the completely normal things. Do you know what I mean? And for somebody to have a fandom addiction, I feel like that's just extremely taboo. Matt is talking about financial domination, or fandom for short. If you're not familiar with it, it's basically consensual erotic roleplay that involves money. People with a fandom kink get turned on by the idea of relinquishing control of their finances. It's something that falls within the larger world of BDSM, which involves kinks that play with ideas of dominance, submission, and control. Financial domination usually happens online and involves two roles. There's a financial dom and a financial submissive. Matt liked to take on the role of the financial submissive, also known as FinSub, or as many of them like to call themselves. Pay pigs, cash cows, wallets, ATMs, uh, cash dispensers. To be a FinSub, you typically let someone verbally humiliate and insult you, and then financially dominate you. Which for Matt meant... Just the act of sending money to a dominant, really with the expectation of nothing. So giving money away to financial doms or FinDoms for nothing in return except for a few insulting words and satisfying a sexual kink. Matt had never pictured himself doing something like this. In fact, there was a time when the very idea seemed pointless and weird. He didn't want this to have a place in his life. But it eventually took a hold of him in a way he could have never expected. I'm Rima Khreis, and you're listening to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Since the pandemic, our lives have been moving out of the physical world and into the online world more than ever before. And maybe that helps explain the spike in curiosity about a kink that is inherently kind of online. Google searches for FinDom have increased by almost 5,000% in the last year. There are many different flavors of FinDom. You know, it can involve handing control of your bank account to someone else or quote-unquote consensual blackmail. It can also incorporate other fetishes. But typically, the most common form of FinDom is the form that Matt prefers, sending money to doms online in exchange for being ridiculed. When Matt first started experimenting with financial domination, he wanted to relinquish control, to feel vulnerable in one of the places that feels most vulnerable to all of us, our bank account. On our show today, we follow Matt's journey into FinDom and explore the ethics of a kink all about control, power, and the exchange of money.
Growing up, everyone thought Matt was perfect. Even when he was young, people came to him for advice. He did well in school, and his parents who'd raised him in a middle-class family had high hopes and expectations for him. He was the promising child in the family. And so at a young age, he got this idea that losing was not an option. My favorite story he told me was this one time in Little League Baseball. They had a big game. I remember just like the whole town was there, and I was so upset because I, I think I got a hit, but just had a terrible game, and we lost. And I just remember the parents driving home. I didn't say a word. I sat in the car for, I think, six or seven hours. Like, and it was like midnight of a school night. My, my parents couldn't drag me out of the car um, just because of how upset. I was crying my eyes out, bawling, Aww. and just thinking the world was over because we lost that game. Perfection was all he wanted anyone else to see. But to do that, he realized there were parts of himself that he'd probably need to hide. When he was in middle school, like a lot of kids his age, he started to secretly explore porn. One day, he was hanging out in his room, waiting for his mom to take him to a movie play date. He was watching porn videos when he saw this one video playing in a loop. It was a dominatrix, a seemingly powerful woman, saying degrading things into the camera about her audience, presumably men. It was like she was speaking directly to Matt. I was like, this is, this is wild. Like, this was, there was such a, a, a sense of excitement. To be clear, this is not financial domination. That would come later. This was basically female domination, also known as femdom, a kind of kink where women play the dominant role and degrade, humiliate, or tease, in this case, a male submissive. Matt doesn't remember what the dominatrix in the video was wearing, but a typical outfit for a dominatrix might be black leather, a corset, maybe they'll have a whip. Matt was intrigued, but he didn't really understand why. And before he knew it, his mom was calling him to get going. It just shut the, shut the computer really mm. quickly. And do you remember what it felt like when you slammed that computer shut? Just, just the feeling of, you know that you're doing something that... I guess if someone saw, there's an element of shock. So that I would say that there was some sort of thrill involved. Mm. And that had some appeal to me for whatever reason. When Matt became a teenager, he was popular with the girls at school. He started having girlfriends and he wanted to enjoy himself with them. But he had this nagging feeling that it wasn't enough. Nothing he was experiencing in real life compared to the excitement of femdom. When he started having sex, he knew what he was supposed to be feeling, but everything about vanilla sex was underwhelming for Matt. I had this this epiphany early on, like, does this get better, or mm. is is it maybe just a compatibility thing? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's the deal here? Why am I not getting the same sort of sensations that other people are getting? You, you know, it felt like you were just going through the motions, it sounds like. Just going through the motions, right. He didn't know why he could only feel really sexually fulfilled watching porn, specifically videos of women who wanted to insult and humiliate a male submissive. You might see, you know, like a mocking of, of a man being inadequate based mm-hmm. off, you know, genital size. Yeah. Or it could be something like... The general feeling of being inadequate for a partner, it appealed to me because I like to place myself in that sort of, like, dynamic. Matt liked being told he was inadequate, even though, again, that is not at all how he was perceived in real life. Especially in, 
latter half of high school and in college. Like I'm, I'm having those partners, but yet I'm, you know, getting my rocks off to being told that I can't get these partners. You know what I mean? Matt didn't see a way to integrate the kinky part of himself with the life he thought he should be living. He thought, maybe I'll just wake up one day and be like everyone else. I had this idea that, you know, the world is so big and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to flip the switch. It was during this time, when he was still waiting for that switch to flip, that he first heard about financial domination. He was watching a lot of porn, and every now and then he'd see these related videos about Findom. One day, he clicked on one of those videos. It was of a dominatrix looking into the camera, saying degrading things, while asking for money. Like a dom flipping off the camera, uh, like an F you pay me type of mantra, just recycled and, you know, you're a loser, maybe a loser sign. Matt just watched a snippet of it and then put his computer away. I was like, well, these people are paying for this. Like, this is such a scam. Like, why would you pay for that? Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Because you're, you're watching what I'm watching essentially five times a day and you're actually spending money. So at that point in time, I remember watching it and thinking, this has got to be the biggest rip, but, you know, to each their own. He didn't get it. But for months, he kept seeing Findom videos pop up on his screen while he was watching porn. Eventually, Matt graduated from college. He had a lot of student debt and wasn't sure what to do next. So he took a job in finance in his hometown and moved back in with his parents to save some money. He didn't love his job, and during work, he'd sometimes find himself bored just scrolling through Twitter. A lot of femdoms post their porn on there. And whenever he'd scroll looking for videos or whatever, he'd inevitably see some tweets about financial domination, which began to intrigue him. Then, one day, during his lunch break, he drove his car to this nearby grocery parking lot where no one could see him. He pulled out his phone, opened Twitter, and on this afternoon, he decided to intentionally look up profiles of financial doms. Like, I don't know why I did that. That's the the million-dollar question, right? He started to sift through profiles of women who shared public tweets like, who wants to buy me dinner? Or, send me money, you pay pig. Matt sat there in his car, and he thought, well, maybe I'll make an anonymous Twitter account. And maybe, just maybe, I'll respond to one of these tweets. I don't know if you want to share your username, but... Something along the lines of, like, beta pig or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It probably had some sort of... Like, that you could tell it was, I was trying to be a pay pig. Right, right, right. Maybe a picture of a pig is the, is the profile pic, something like that. Because I wanted them to take me serious. And I was like, this is it. Like, are we doing this? Like, why am I doing this? This is so stupid. But, like, my heart was racing for whatever reason. I remember that. He drafted a private message in response to Adam's tweet and then hit send. I'd like to serve you or something like that. How can I serve you? And she responded right away. Why are you talking to me? I don't talk to losers for free. Why are you talking to me? I don't talk to losers for free. Send $30 to my cash app. Hey, sent goddess. Cool. Double it. I sent again, goddess. Do it one more time. That was that was the third time. After the third time, I was like, man, there is nothing more degrading that I've ever done. But 
the act was so much more humiliating than anything I've ever watched. Like I actually just sent money for like pretty much no conversation. How did that feel? Yeah, that feeling was was pretty wild because I didn't feel much of anything after it. It wasn't like, this is stupid, nor was it, this is great. It was just kind of like an even, like my heart was pounding, but my, I guess my brain was even keeled, like nothingness. He gave away $100 for nothing in return. And it felt really good. The coming to terms with that was such a rush. It was such a thrill. Like you spent $100 in 10 minutes, like money that you worked hard for that she did nothing for. And it just felt like this ultimate act of submission. And she has no idea who I am, doesn't know my name, doesn't know my age, my background, nothing about me. Yet I see a picture of her and I'm sending her money to make this actual life sacrifice that benefits her and in theory takes away from my happiness. In trying this, it only made him more curious. He loved being in what's known as subspace. It's kind of like this meditative state where you feel vulnerable. Here's how he describes it. Like that dog serving the owner, like making the dominant happy. Like you're a pet, you feel sacrificial, sacrificing pleasure, taking orders, obeying obedience, right? That's that's all interconnected. And it's just an extreme state of vulnerability where you feel like you don't have to, to have to lead the way. You can rely on that other person to um, help you achieve whatever end goals you both are commingling with. Then the next day, during his lunch break, Matt drove to the same parking lot. He pulled out his phone, opened Twitter, and he saw a new message from the dominatrix he paid yesterday. She's like, hey, loser. Hey, loser. Time to pay again. Matt did not hesitate. He sent her $150. He wanted to delve deeper and deeper into this new world. It still carried some sort of a mystique to it. I wanted to see if, like, more came out of it, right? Like, are we going to have some sort of relationship? Like, what's going to happen? And it was all these questions that paired together made me keep trying it day in after day. What started off as a fascination soon became a habit. Once or twice a week, whenever he could afford to, he'd send her $100 here, $100 there. Sending In this first dom he'd messaged, she'd encourage him each time to spend more than he did before. Like, hey, you sent this much, I think you can do better. I think you can do better than that. How about you try to prove it? Like that, like almost a contest or a game in a way. And within a couple of weeks, he decided he wanted to venture out even more. Like, why just engage with this one dom when there were so many others out there? Whenever he'd send the money, he says it'd feel like he was floating. Like when I would send, literally the whole world around me was non-existent. But then, when the thrill subsided, when that dopamine high wore off, he'd sit there in his car or in his bed or wherever, and he'd start asking himself questions. Like, am I going to keep doing this? Can I even afford to keep doing this? I really wasn't stable financially at all. You know, burdened with student loans at that time, like drowning in student debt. So there's obviously the thought in the back of my mind that's, you know, begging the question, how is this going to be sustained? 
do you feel comfortable sharing how much you're making that year? Yeah, that year, under 40000 So he was making under $40,000 a year, and he had $100,000 in student debt. He was living paycheck to paycheck. Do you remember one of the first times when you looked at your bank account and you were like, oh no? Yeah. I think in the first two months I spent, I think it was like two grand. And I just closed the phone. I was like, no, we're not doing that again. Still, he kept sending money. It's so interesting how you describe how everything around you would sort of evaporate. And it makes me wonder what you're escaping from exactly. I was escaping from my life. I lost ambition and things that I loved, all my hobbies. I, you know, it sucks to say it, but I, I genuinely did not have a purpose. I was the furthest thing from content, like the absolute furthest thing. Matt's vision for his life wasn't unfolding how he'd imagined. Everyone had expected him to do big things after college, and he'd even gotten some prestigious job offers. But he was really struggling with his mental health, and he didn't feel equipped to take those offers. He was dealing with OCD, anxiety, and depression, and he had no real long-term plans for his career. A lot of those factors, you know, they, they, they add up to a very low level of self-worth. He also started drinking and smoking heavily. He felt caught in this awful negative loop. And, you know, I get that. You feel depressed or anxious, and you know what things will likely make you feel better. But because you're so depressed, you don't want to do those things. And not doing anything, well, that only makes you feel worse. And so instead, you go back to your old habits. And the cycle repeats. It feels so counterintuitive. But if you view yourself in a negative light, your brain almost wants you to do things that reinforce that you are uh, negative. Right. You think you're a loser. You're doing things that you think a loser would do. Even though you know at the back of your mind there's something off, you'll continue to do it. If I understand what you're saying, it's like you had this fear of failure and financial submission allows you to indulge in that. And it becomes this tangible expression of how you feel inside. Yeah, fear of failure is a great way to put it, yeah. And it's around this time that Matt says he feels like he really committed to financial domination being a big part of his life. This is me now. I knew early on like that this was going to be sticking around. And as this became a bigger part of his daily life, his tolerance naturally started to shift. Like, sometimes a dom would do what they call a drain, basically demanding that Matt give them a large lump of money. He used to give 100, 150, but now he was sending 250, 300. Sometimes he'd even throw in extra and tell them to use it for dinner or groceries. Those first few months, he says he sent money to more than 100 different women. He was still barely making ends meet. When Christmas rolled around, he didn't have any money to buy gifts for his family and friends, which was really upsetting to him. Did he give gifts to anyone that year? No, he did not. I was, like, reclusive that year. I almost just hid from everybody. <laughs> I would I would try to distance. Oh, hey, I'm busy with work and, and just play the avoidance game. His world began to shrink. He'd casually date, but nothing ever really went anywhere. It was hard for him to open up. 
No one in his life knew the extent of his depression or his anxiety, and definitely nothing about his affinity for Findom. And you have to remember that this is a guy who doesn't like to lose. And on top of that, he doesn't really trust people. So no way was he going to show anyone any evidence of weakness. I don't ever really talk about my emotions, ever. At that point in time, you wouldn't have gotten a word out of me. You would have thought everything was, was completely fine. And for a while, he was doing a decent job of keeping all of this secret. But then one day, Matt was walking home when he got a phone call. It was his dad with some questions. His dad had opened one of his credit card statements, which was filled with charges for payment apps like Venmo and Zelle. He was like, hey, is everything all right? And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? And uh, yeah, kind of like my heart sank. Like, "Uh uh-oh, like the movie's over. This is it. Um, I'm going to have to explain myself. And then he, uh, he, he was telling me, like, there's all these payments here. I think somebody has your card. Like, is everything okay? Matt could feel his heart beating faster, his palms getting sweaty. I was like, uh-oh, like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, did you spend uh, 2000 this month on sending these payments? His dad was like, did you buy things from vendors online? Like, what is this? And Matt, he took a beat and searched for an answer, for something plausible, anything that would quickly shut this conversation down. I said, oh, yeah, Dad, I, I forgot to tell you, I've been, I've been trading investments on, on a new market. It's like the secondary financial market and you can sell, sell funds. And of course, that's not, not happening or real. But And he's like, oh, OK, I got scared. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. I got all that back plus some. It's, it's a great return. Matt hung up and walked home with the conversation replaying in his head. There was an immense sense of guilt right after that phone call that that lingered for like days. Mm-hmm. And I would be in my apartment and and you know doing whatever I had to do, and there was just this sense now that like I'm letting my dad down. Like I I can't give them gifts, I can't donate to charities. I'm supposed to be this great person that exceeds and excels in life. I have nothing to show for it. And not only that, but now I'm a, I'm a liar. Like, what good am I? In this guilt, for a while, it only pushed him into a deeper rut. He started engaging in Findom even more. But over the months, as Matt's tolerance kept growing, and as he fell deeper into debt... It hit me like, this is not even fulfilling in any capacity. This is literally just a, a cycle. Matt wanted out. That's after the break. All right, we're back. I met Matt through Instagram, actually. He had DM'd me, and it was a very, very sincere message. Mistress Damiana Chi is a professional dominatrix based in Los Angeles. Matt would eventually reach out to her when he was feeling especially low and trying to quit. Mr. Stamiana is outspoken about how Findom can be harmful to subs, which she's gotten a lot of backlash for, mostly online. That's actually how I first came across her. I'm concerned that they're getting taken advantage of um, financially, psychologically, all that stuff. And so Matt, he sent her a message to thank her for speaking out on how Findom can be unethical. He said, I've been trying to heal from this for a long time now, um, and... I, I really appreciate how much you support submissives um, who are in the situation like mine. Mr. Stamiana will sometimes get messages like this from other fin subs. 
And it's not like she's totally opposed to femdom. She actually engages in it with someone in her life. But she does have a lot of strong feelings about it. And to understand them, I actually want to pause from Matt's story for a bit and dive a little deeper into the world of BDSM, which I think is actually pretty important to better understand Matt's story. We sent our producer Hannah to meet Mr. Stamiana in person. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So it looks dark in here right now because you're out there where it was really bright, but your eyes will adjust. Okay. (laughs) But it is a dungeon, Mm -hmm. so that's why it's dimly lit. Mr. Stamiana works in Los Angeles and runs what's known as a BDSM dungeon, basically a space designated for BDSM play. I'll just give you a quick tour. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Well, this is my reception area. Mm-hmm. This is my slave, Charles. Hello. This, Hello. this is Hannah. Hi. Hannah told me the dungeon is sleek with wooden floors and pops of red everywhere. Um, over here we have a St. Andrew's cross where whippings happen, things like that. Mm-hmm. This is my implement wall where I hang my whips and floggers and paddles and things like that. Uh, how many different things would you guess that you have to hit people with in here? Oh, my God. I mean... I don't know, if I were to guess, hundreds? Mr. Stamiana has been a dominatrix for 23 years. It's her full-time job. And she's pretty protective of the BDSM community. What do people get wrong about BDSM and kink? The thing that, that differentiates BDSM from abuse is the consent part. So it's not only consented to, it's wanted because it's a kink of theirs. You know, if something like torture is being done from the dom to the sub, that is what turns the sub on. Then it's like, oh, there's, there, ha- there needs to be high levels of trust for that to happen. That's a part of BDSM is not portrayed in the movies because it's just, they just use it for shock value most of the time. Do you think that that sort of incorrect portrayal makes people more vulnerable to sort of abusive... Maybe not oh, just yeah. Dom, but other right. abuse. Exactly. Yeah. So untrained Doms will see something like that in the in the movies and just be like, well, I can do that. Well, I can treat a person like shit. That looks easy. She likens BDSM to an art form based in mutual respect, trust, and acceptance. And to do kink safely and ethically, she says a lot of discussion needs to happen beforehand. Um, and so the dom, uh, the responsible dom will ask all about them, um, ask about the person's limits, you know, like where he's not willing to go. Most of it is structured around the submissive's fantasies. Those fantasies might include insults and humiliation. But after a scene is over, she always makes sure to tell her subs just how much fun she had with them. There's something called aftercare at the end of a scene. So the scene is contained within these energetic boundaries, right? So that the sub knows, okay, now they're relating to me as a person again. That's the healthy way to do it. She says when it comes to financial domination, it can get tricky because unlike other BDSM activities, it can be completely transactional and impersonal. Even so, she thinks there needs to be boundary setting. And with Findom becoming more visible over the last few years, she worries people are getting into it without knowing much about BDSM. She points to how online there are all these cliché self-serving demands for cash that are drowning out the BDSM culture and community. There's a lot of these financial doms out there just on Twitter going, disgusting loser pay pig, you know, calling everybody that. It's just, 
it's so it's so ignorant because not everybody's a disgusting loser pay pig. Not everybody gets off on that. Only go there. Only only play with these very very sensitive areas of degradation and humiliation if you know for sure that that person has a kink for it. This is very important. Very very important. All that to say, she thinks Findom can have its place within a trusting, established relationship. So what might that actually look like? On your website and on your Twitter profile, you brand yourself as an ethical Findom. Yep. What does that mean? Um, I don't like the idea that I would actually damage somebody financially. That's Hadrian Temple. Not his real name. It's his online persona. Also, not his real voice. We're disguising it to protect his employment. Hadrian is in his 50s and is a financial dom. I am okay uh, with a sub not being able to go to the movies because, um, because he's tributed that money to me and therefore can't afford to go to the movies this month. I'm not okay with a sub having to skip his mortgage payment. He's been thinking about how to treat financial subs ethically for a long time. And he's into a wide range of kinks, but he started experimenting with Findom about eight years ago when subs began reaching out asking if they could send him money. When I first started doing it, uh, my reaction was really, wow, this is a really intense rush. Mm. It was like a light bulb went on for me. I mean, a part of it it is the ego stroke, um, because at essence... It's another guy saying, you are so hot, I want to give you my money. It's it's incredibly empowering. But the last thing he wants to do is exploit people. He says his fin subs will usually start out by attributing him $15, $20, nothing huge. But once he starts developing a more meaningful relationship, he checks in with them about their finances. I, I do try to get a sense of what can what can this particular sub afford? What are his expenses? What are his obligations? Um, and uh, if if I get the sense that a sub can't afford something, I will I'll be I'll say nope. I'm not going to let you do that. One sub came to him and said that in the past he'd been unable to stop giving money to doms whenever they asked for it, kind of like Matt. This sub wanted Hadrian to financially dominate him, but he also wanted to be able to save money. One of the things I told him is, okay, your, your paycheck, you know, your paycheck comes on a Friday. The very first thing you do with it is take this amount of money and you put it in your savings account and you never touch that money Mm -hmm. except for the specific purpose of buying a house or buying a car or meeting a specific goal that you are saving money for. (laughs) So you're helping him budget. Um, Essentially, essentially. And it sounds like he actually listens to you. Yes. Yeah. As many subs are, he's good at being, he's good at doing what somebody else tells him. But he, he struggles to be in charge of himself. Most of Hadrian's relationships with Finn subs last several months, and he'll develop intimate and pretty meaningful connections with some of them. A lot of them send him money, but some will buy him things from his Amazon wish list, like hair products, expensive leather shirts, some nice boots. This one guy got him a chest harness. He also bought me a pizza stone. Oh. Because <laughs> I, had, I had mentioned that I was getting into bread baking. Hadrian has a full-time job and does Findom, along with other kinks, as a kind of hobby. Each month, he makes a couple hundred dollars to as much as 3000 from his Fin subs. 
for me, how I think of FinDom is the money isn't the point of the interaction. The money is the tool, the symbol of the power dynamic that we're working in. And why do you think money can be so sexually enticing to some people? (laughs) Um, Well, uh, money is a measure of power in our society. So having somebody give you money is giving you power. Uh, Additionally, in a society as aggressively capitalistic as our society is, Mm -hmm. um, it's incredibly taboo. So FINDOM is powerful and erotic precisely because it violates one of the basic tenets of our society, which is that you're supposed to hoard your money. Hadrian likes how wrong it feels to turn capitalism on its head in this way. It's about playing with the idea of money and what it represents, not actually about making money. My absolute, one of my all-time favorite scenes with a sub, I spent half an hour taking one dollar from him just to prove that I could make any amount a really, really hot time. As a Findom, Hadrian has encountered a lot of guys like Matt, people who are into the kink but have trouble doing it responsibly. Although in Matt's case, he didn't have someone like Hadrian to help create healthy boundaries. When we left off with Matt, he was feeling especially low. He was spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars each month as a FinSub, and he wanted to stop. At the height of things, he'd zeroed out all of his accounts, had no savings, and about $4,000 of credit card debt. One afternoon, Matt decided he'd finally confront what at that point he considered to be an addiction. I remember... I went and I sat down in my my place and I got my laptop and I pulled up my bank account and I got a pen. So I had a pen, paper, laptop, and I had a calculator to, to back it up. I wanted to physically torture myself of writing down every single payment, adding it up and going through that to total and to see what I actually spent. So you were hoping this would be like the wake-up call for you? I was hoping. I was like, you know, no one is coming to save you. So with a pen in his hand, he started to sift through his bank accounts, scribbling down all the numbers. I just went through it and through it. It was the most meticulous thing ever. Page after page after page. It was a terrible feeling, but as I flipped like page four, it started in a weird way to become cathartic because it was like I was finally tackling the demons head on. And as I'm going through, I couldn't tell you 90% of who the cash tags were or what sessions they were pertaining to. And it just felt like this major light bulb moment of you knew that you had nothing to show for this. But now you went through all of these sins and you can't even match the moments of of what you had deemed as even pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that put everything into perspective for me and and showed me that it's not sustainable. It's always going to be this high that I'm chasing. And I hate the path that I'm on. So why would I keep driving that way? He kept jotting down the numbers. And then finally, when he was done, he did the math by hand and put the pen down. He looked at the number in front of him in disbelief and then double-checked with a calculator. It was correct. It was somewhere in the vicinity of 30-some grand. Hmm. 
And there's 30 some grand that I send that I, wow. 95% of it cannot associate to actual moments. Like, can you imagine if you have 30 some grand and you don't remember where it went? And that's what it felt like for me. Like I literally opened my window and threw 30 some grand out of my window. He started to wonder what it would look like if he kept doing this. Like if this is the trajectory, then in a few years, he'll have spent well over $100,000. That thought alone just rattled him. I don't get sad. I get angry now. Not at, not mm. at people or the findoms or the girls. I get mad at myself that I got beat. Like I got beaten, right? Mm. I know I'm, I'm truly addicted. Now I know how bad the addiction is because I can't stop. Right. But I know I'm going to find that light at the tunnel. I actively want to make a change in my life. After confronting his finances, Matt stopped for a while. But then, as it goes with a lot of addictions, he's had some relapses. One thing that helped was reaching out to people who might understand. It's around this time that he messaged Mistress Damiana. They ended up talking, which felt cathartic. He also sifted through forums and message boards and found some recovery groups. A lot of people coming into the group were looking up to me because they they were hearing that I was, you know, staying staying clean for a while and trying to ask me questions. In the last year, Matt has managed to quit Vindum for good. He also quit drinking and smoking and is trying to have a healthier relationship with porn. He still has bouts of depression and anxiety, but it feels a lot easier to manage these days. And to replace those dopamine hits, he's tried finding enjoyment in smaller things, like the act of waking up and meditating, getting out in nature, doing martial arts. In terms of his financial life, over the last couple of years, he went into massive savings mode and landed a much higher paying job. He also has a side business that he liquidated. And all of that helped him turn pretty much everything around. Do you have savings yet? Oh, yes, yes. I, I've paid off all of my debt, credit card oh. and student debt. Wow. I've accumulated savings. I have my investments. And my, my compensation through my work is sufficient. And last Christmas, he was able to afford a gift for his parents. Before I met Matt, I honestly didn't know much about financial domination. At a distance, it might seem salacious or strange, but I've learned that for a lot of people, it is a fun, erotic role play that can bring value and a deeper form of intimacy into their lives. The act of allowing someone to see your most private desires can be a really freeing and exhilarating thing. That said, I keep thinking about my conversations with Hadrian, the Findom we talked with. He made this really great point that money is just a tool in the role play. It's a symbol of power, especially in a capitalist society where men in particular are conditioned to become providers and money is glorified. This kink subverts all of that in a really enticing way. But because we live in a capitalist society, money will never just be a symbol. It's easy for things to quickly get out of hand. That's why, yes, money may be at the heart of these kinds of relationships, but for them to work, for them to be mutually beneficial, what really needs to be central are the things that every healthy relationship requires. Open communication and a whole lot of trust. And, you know, we talked about how it can be hard for you to let your guard down, to trust people. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like today... You could see yourself eventually letting your guard down and um, 
engaging in deeper connections? I do. I do. I think that this interview, I just kind of let my guard down, which I, <laughs> yeah, I don't huge. do. So I think that that would be evidence of improvement. I do enjoy if, if like, if I can let my guard down and I've had like relationships where I can do that when you can connect with like a person's soul. And I always enjoyed that element of it. I just have to get to that, to that step. You know, I'm sure that this journey will lend itself to a deeper search for a more fulfilling personal uh, connection. that is all for our show this week if you have any thoughts or comments or just you know want to share your own story you can always reach out to me and the team through uncomfortable at marketplace.org also do not forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you have not already each week we have recommendations on interesting fun things to read watch cook listen to you can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash comfort this episode was lead produced by me, Hannah Harris-Green, and hosted by Rima Kreis. We wrote the script together. The episode got additional support from Alice Wilder and Andy Corbin. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Jasmine Romero, who also did the voice acting in this episode. Mark K. Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Our intern is Yvonne Marquez. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Bridget Bodner is Marketplace's Director of Podcasts. Francesca Levy is the Executive Director of Digital. And our theme music is by Wonderly. Also, a shout out to Mistress Damiana and her podcast, Lightworkers Who Play in the Dark, which is where we first heard of Matt's story. All right, we'll catch y'all next week.